to Making Sense of Money, a podcast dedicated to making financial topics easier to understand. I'm Nikki Jancola Shanks, one of your hosts. Last episode, we spoke with my colleague, David DiCarlo, which is IDFPR's Regulatory Innovation Officer, about digital assets like cryptocurrency. So if you're interested in learning about some of the regulation challenges surrounding fintech, check that episode out. And I'm Andrew Pellegrini, your other co-host for today's podcast episode. Today, we've invited Alan Sorcher and Anne McKinley from the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, which regulates the investing industry in the United States, to talk about investing to reach financial goals. All right, Alan and Anne, would you like to introduce yourselves and talk a little bit about your roles at the Securities and Exchange Commission? Sure. Thanks, Andrea. And thanks for including the SEC in this podcast. I'm Alan Sorcher, an assistant director in the SEC's Office of Investor Education and Advocacy. Uh, I assist OIEA in its mission to inform and educate investors on frauds and other information relevant to investing in securities. OIEA, the Office of Investor Education Advocacy, has basically a two-part mission. We respond to complaints and inquiries from investors, and we also provide educational programs and materials. Uh, In a typical year, we process more than 17,000 complaints, questions, and other contacts from investors annually across the country. Uh, Investor.gov, which I hope people are aware of or after this podcast will check out, is our online resource to help investors make informed investment choices and hopefully avoid fraud. And I'll turn it over to Ann. Thanks, Alan, Andrea, and Nikki. My name is Ann McKinley. I'm an assistant director in the SEC's Division of Enforcement in the Chicago Regional Office. Um, And we're we're generally tasked with investigating and litigating violations of the federal securities laws. Um, It can can really run the gamut from um, the sale of fraudulent securities to investors, to insider trading, corporate financial fraud, and misconduct by brokers and investment advisors. We are super excited um, to have you guys here, and we thank you so much. Um, Something Andrea and I always do when we talk about highly regulated financial professional industries, such as investing, is give a little disclaimer to our listeners. We are not lawyers, investment advisors, brokers, or other investment professionals. We know that you're also not investment professionals, but is there anything you'd like to add to that disclaimer before we jump into the meatier part of our podcast content today, Alan or Anne? Well, I'll jump in and Anne can add anything if I missed anything. So we, we as, a, as a federal government agency, are required to give a disclaimer. And so, and so I'll just read ours. The SEC's Office of Investor Education and Advocacy and our Chicago Regional Office are providing this information as a service to investors. This presentation is not a statement of official SEC policy, nor a legal interpretation, and not uh, investment advice. I'll just add that anything that we say today are our own words and our own thoughts and shouldn't be representative of anything um, that any of the commissioners or anyone else on the commission staff would say. Thank you, Alan and Ann. And and with your roles in the Securities and Exchange Commission, I'm sure you have very valuable perspective for our listeners anyway. So I really appreciate you joining us. For those of our listeners that might not be aware of the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, or SEC as we might refer to it, can you provide a little overview of what the Securities and Exchange Commission is and what it does? Sure. I'll start. If I missed anything, Anne, Anne can jump jump in. 
Um, so the SEC is a federal agency. It's an independent regulatory commission. We are headquartered in Washington, D.C., uh, and we have 11 regional offices throughout the country, from New York all the way to California, to San Francisco uh, and Los Angeles, and smack almost in the middle of very important offices, Ann's office, the Chicago office. Um, we have a three-part mission to protect investors. Uh, secondly, to maintain fair, orderly, and efficient markets. And third, to facilitate capital formation. The SEC accomplishes its mission, that three-part mission, by administering and enforcing the federal securities laws, overseeing brokerage firms and investment advisors, and reviewing filings by most public companies. Let me talk a little bit about the federal securities laws that we oversee, um, which have been, were passed by Congress in 1933. The federal securities laws we oversee are based on a simple concept, and that is that everyone should be treated fairly and have access to certain facts about investments and those who sell them. Uh, to achieve this, we at the SEC require public companies, funds and asset managers, investment professionals, and other market participants to regularly disclose significant financial and other information so investors have the complete information they need to make confident and informed decisions about where and when to invest. Most importantly, we protect investors by vigorously enforcing the federal securities laws to hold wrongdoers accountable and to defer future misconduct. So can you guys talk a little bit about what are some of the things that potential investors should do prior to investing, particularly as it relates to building financial security? Sure, really good question and something that uh, often is overlooked. So we uh, have a number of uh, tips for what you should do prior to investing, um, which can lead you into investing. So number one, pay off high interest debt that you may have on credit cards. If your credit card is charging 18% interest, there really aren't too many investments that can match that. So it's really important to pay those off before you start investing. Two, creating a budget. Know how and where you're spending your money, and hopefully you are spending less than you are making. Three, starting to save for an emergency fund. It's really important to have money set, set aside for an unexpected event like a house or car repair or a health or family emergency. And setting up an automatic contribution from your salary to savings or an investment account, this is one of the best ways to start an emergency fund because the money goes straight from your paycheck to a savings account so you can't get the opportunity to spend it. I'm a big fan of automated savings, so I'm glad that that was, that was in your list of becoming financial secure. So what are some of the reasons that people might invest, Alan, might get started investing? There are a whole bunch of reasons. Let me start with savings and why that's important. And as I just touched on, savings is important for emergencies, for education, big purchases, and family. Let me turn to investing and why some portion of your portfolio needs to grow over time. And there are at least two reasons. One, we want to retire someday and live off our accumulated assets. So we need to invest our money so that it can grow over time, perhaps as long as 30 or 40 years and allowing compounding to do its work. But also the second reason, the cost in goods and services tend to go up over time. I think we all know this is called inflation. So we need our money to grow at a faster rate than inflation so we don't lose the buying power of our money. So we've touched on many aspects of building financial security in other episodes. Um, we've had some on budgeting, managing credit, insurance, emergency savings, et cetera. But once somebody gets to a point where they're comfortable with their financial security, what do they need to do to get started with investing? 
and what makes investing different from saving? Okay, let me start with the second question, what makes investing different from savings? So savings uh, is basically the money you earn, but don't spend. Investing, on the other hand, is making that money grow. Uh, let me drill down and look at that another way. Savings is money typically placed in a low risk, but low interest product, like a savings account at a bank, and is generally used for short term goals, or as an emergency fund for to cover unexpected unex, uh, expenses, as I touched on a minute ago. Investing is money placed at risk for the possibility of a greater return over time and is generally used for longer term goals such as retirement. As you kick off your financial plan, it's vital to keep in mind your level of risk tolerance. All investments have some degree of risk. You can help yourself avoid a problem by understanding the different risks and returns of every savings and investment product that you are considering. So Alan, I have kind of a clarifying question. As educators, we usually talk about risk tolerance and paying attention to your risk tolerance, but we don't always explain what that means. Do you have an easy way to kind of summarize what the definition of risk tolerance is when it comes to investing so people have an idea when we're talking about risk tolerance, what we mean? Mm -hmm. So as I said, all investments have risk and different investment products have different levels of risk. And so risk tolerance is defined as how much risk you're comfortable with and how much you're willing to take on. Or put simply, what keeps you up at night? I think that's that's a, a great definition, Alan. And I know that there's some research on different categories of risk tolerance, and I can try to find that to put in the show notes whenever we do publish this episode for anyone that might be more interested in some of the research behind risk tolerance specifically as it relates to financial choices. But moving on, I wanted to talk about a study that was done in late 2021 by FINRA, which is a private self-regulating authority for investment broker dealers in the United States. They did a study on the different barriers that people face when accessing investment services. Some of those barriers like financial literacy can be more easily addressed through education, like what we're trying to do with this podcast and the webinars that Alan and I are, are partnering on and Nikki and I are partnering on. Uh, but some of them are more challenging, like race and ethnicity, income, age, a lot of those demographics that are commonly associated with so socioeconomic diversity and challenges. So, Anne, with your role in enforcement, how can more novice or inexperienced retail investors find out more information to educate themselves on investing and how to get started in kind of a safe way? Well, one of the best sources that I've found is a website that actually the SEC puts out. It is focused solely on providing information to investors. Um, this is separate and apart from our general government website, which might be a little tricky to navigate if you're not used to it. But this website is called investor.gov. It's investor.gov. And it includes information on what to consider and what not to consider in making an investment. It can really help someone educate themselves. It provides all sorts of tools. You can look at uh, information on like kind of the most up-to-date issues that, that we're facing and we're seeing through enforcement actions, which is important. You can also look at information and kind of counseling you on what to invest in, including not investing based on emotions, 
or what you read on social media and how to get started even if you don't have any familiarity or history as an investor. Some of the tools that are available to investors include a tool that allows them to look up anyone who is offering to invest on their behalves to see if they have any SEC actions or other disciplinary history, um, which can be very helpful in keeping you from getting defrauded. Just real quick, I wanted to say you made me smile when you said, or based on emotions or what you read on social media, Andrew and I actually just did a webinar that was called Memes and Money. And it was focused a, a lot on, you know, what people see uh, on social media and how that plays into how you feel about money and what decisions you may, may make. So it was interesting to hear you specifically call that out as well. I think that social media and things we see online is just becoming more and more prevalent as an influential factor in our financial decisions, including some of the fraud that we see in all kinds of financial services. So thanks for bringing that up, Anne. And then Alan, I know we already asked about what do you think some of the ways that people can start investing is. Can you elaborate on what are some good ways that people can start investing once they've gotten the education and the financial security that they need to be more successful in their wealth building through investment strategies? Yeah. So for most Americans that invest, they have access to investing through their workplace retirement account, uh, like a 401k uh, or possibly opening an IRA account. So people should make sure they are taking advantage of that if their employer offers them a retirement account. They should also invest as much as they can up to the uh, IRS, the internal revenue limitations. And certainly if their employer has a matching program, um, they should invest up to the match. In my office, we like to say that the match from your employer is free money. And if you don't invest up to the match, you're leaving free money on the table. And I don't think anybody likes to do that. If they don't have access to a 401k, people should see if they're able to open an IRA account, or they can open a non-retirement mutual fund account. The amounts to open those accounts are generally not very high. Again, the important thing is to start saving and investing, and it's not as difficult as it may seem. Most of us don't think anything of having automating payments with our monthly subscriptions and streaming services, but you know we can apply that concept to saving and investing. Uh, it helps to do your saving and investing automatically. You can set it up with your bank to have the money sent directly to a savings or investment account, like a mutual fund account. And in other words, you set it and forget it. This creates the habit of savings and allows the power of compounding, that magical compounding, to work for you over time. So Alan, you mentioned IRA accounts, and I just want to elaborate for our listeners. Alan's referring to individual retirement accounts when he says IRA. So just not, I don't want people to be confused. Is there another type of account? And, and personally, like for me, I usually refer to it as an IRA. So all, all the same, just same product, different jargon. Also, Alan, you talked about the power of compounding. Can you just briefly describe to our listeners what that is? So compounding, um, the best way to explain compounding is um, how it works in a bank account. So if you open an account in a bank account that's paying 4% interest, the first year you would get 4% on your principal, your deposit. And then the second year you would get 4% on your principal, the deposit, plus 4% on the interest you earned. 
and the next year the same thing happens and then so on and so on and so on. And that's how compound interest works. Thank you for that that brief explanation, Alan. I appreciate it. Also, so speaking of getting super, super basic here, Alan, can you tell us how do investments work? So investments work a little bit similar to how I just explained uh, compound interest. Uh, and the simple answer is that investments grow over time through compounding, again, much like compound interest. Uh, but let me get a little bit more granular and uh, how investments uh, make a return or earn money. So for stocks, um, the way your investment works is that your the share price for a stock can increase. Everyone wants their share price to increase. You can also make money by uh, receiving dividends, which is where the company returns dividends or profits to the shareholders. For bonds, uh, the way people make a return on their investment is through the interest paid on bonds twice a year. Uh, and at the end of the maturity, the entity that issued the bond returns the principal uh, to the investor. And of course, bonds can be sold on the secondary market. Uh, and for mutual funds, the underlying securities can increase in value. Holders of uh, mutual funds can receive dividends, capital gains, uh, and other earnings can be reinvested as well. Thank you, Alan. And there are a lot of topics that Alan's kind of touching on at a basic level that we've covered in previous webinars, which I'll also put in the show notes in case anyone's like, what's a mutual fund? Or I didn't get enough out of that stock or bond explanation. We have a lot more elaboration in some of our webinar recordings. And now I'm, I'm kind of being a bummer, but how do investments lose money? Well, investments do lose money, and the possibility of losing money is what distinguishes uh, investing and saving, as again, as I touched on a little earlier. Um, so the biggest difference between saving and investing is risk. And with investing, the biggest risk is that you can lose some or all of your investment. Different investments have different risks, and the potential for greater return generally comes with higher risk. And let me repeat that because it's really something that people need to understand. The potential for greater return generally comes with higher risk. So we need to figure out how much risk we're going to take on. And that's that risk tolerance that I touched on earlier. Yeah, just from personal experience with risk tolerance, I, uh, my husband and I went and saw a financial planner. And that's actually the first thing they had us do is really um, kind of do a risk tolerance quiz um, to see what we're comfortable with. So this next question is related a little bit to access and barriers that we discussed earlier, but where might someone go to invest money? Well, the most common area uh, is investing through your employer's 401k. And as it's, uh, not all employers have that, but most Americans do uh, invest through their 401k. Uh, as I touched on earlier, you can open an IRA account or an IRA account. Um, and you can open one of those through a brokerage or advisory firm. And it's also important to consider if you're going to open an IRA or uh, IRA account, whether you'll do it through a, a Roth or traditional account. Um, with a traditional account, it's money that goes in before being taxed. And with a Roth, it's money that goes in after being taxed. Thank you, Alan, so much for elaborating on that. I want to switch it over to Anne. And what are some of the things that consumers should consider or watch for when they're investing? You have a lot of experience in enforcement, and so I'm sure you see lots of opportunities where consumers can pay a little more attention or watch for red flags. 
Sure. And let's just start basic and, and not get into fraud just yet. But one of the main things that can have a huge impact on the amount of the return that an investor can receive on their investments is the amount of fees or expenses that they pay upfront. Even if the fees seem small over time, they can have a huge impact on your investment portfolio. So you need to read the fine print and understand what it is you're going to be charged and when and why before you actually agree to make an investment. Uh, sometimes different entities will offer you a free account, but nothing is free. They are going to get paid some way and somehow, and you need to understand that before you give them your hard-earned money. Another thing that investors should definitely do upfront before they invest is check out their investment professional. Make sure they're legitimate and don't have a history of lots of complaints or worse, violations and charges by the SEC or by FINRA. Thank you, Anne. I have a, a, a question, a follow-up question to that. Where would someone go to check out their financial professional? I know Nikki and I have talked about IDFPR options within the state of Illinois, but where are some other places that people can go can, that, to check out their financial professional? So the website that I mentioned earlier, investor.gov, um, has right on the very first page a check out your investment professional uh, section. So you basically can just click on that. It will take you to a FINRA website that will, um, you just type in the name of the person or you can type in the name of the entity and it will give you their history, where all they've worked, whether they've switched firms every year or so, which might be a red flag, but also if they, if they have a lot of complaints from investors, if they've been sued before, all of that information should go into your decision as to whether or not you want to choose that particular person. But investor.gov is, is a really good first place to start. Thank you so much, Anne. And, and we've talked about that in previous episodes about choosing a financial professional, really doing your due diligence and looking up what their history is, if there's any complaints against them, all kinds of stuff. Since it's a licensed, most of investment professionals and brokers have to be licensed, right? And most financial professionals in general have to be licensed. It's a good thing to do. So in the past, we, we've we spoken about retirement and retirement options in, in several episodes. It's also a challenging goal to save for. This is a very big overarching goal of retirement, especially when you're younger, right? And it is a long-term goal. So that also makes it challenging to plan for. But Alan, what are some ways that consumers can invest towards their retirement goals, considering kind of the overwhelming aspect of trying to plan for something 30 or 40 years in advance? Well, Andrea, there's there's no magic here. It, the tried and true ways, nothing really changes with them. And people actually have to have a long-term approach, but I think take one step at a time. So if your employer has a 401k, as we talked about, don't delay, start contributing as soon as you can, uh, and then increase your contributions as your salary increases, if you're able to. Uh, as I touched on, really important to take advantage of employer matching. Um, your employer may match your contributions up to a certain level. And as I said, we call that free money. It doesn't get any better than that. Contribute consistently. Uh, why is that important? 
when you're in a market like we have been for the past year or so where the market's dropped, you don't want people to get distracted by those these ups and downs. Um, we call this noise with retirement, 401ks and retirement accounts. It's important to keep contributing in both up and down markets. By staying in the course, buying when markets are down like they have been, you're actually buying when stock markets, when stocks are cheaper. So that's a good thing. And by buying all year round, when markets are up or down, you're doing what's called dollar cost averaging, buying the market at various points through the year so you get the benefits of high and low markets. And lastly, it's really important to pay attention to fees. Your retirement plan may have funds that charge different levels of fees, and you want to focus on that as one of the factors of how you choose which fees, which funds to invest in. I know personally, again, like I said, I'm, I met with a prof- financial professional and, and just the amount of planning that you have to kind of think of when it, you're thinking about retirement can be very overwhelming. So I'm not ashamed to admit that I need help. So if you're listening and you're a little overwhelmed, there are resources out there for you. So we've talked about how investments make money, how they lose money, barriers to investing, and how to get started a little bit. But can you talk to us about some of the specific risks of investing? What I mean by that is like market volatility and strategies consumers can use to try to combat them. Sure. Well, there are lots of different kinds of risks. And Nikki, you just, you just hit on the biggie, market volatility. And that can happen, as we've seen over time, for lots of reasons. Uh, it can be due to inflation. It can be due to recession. It can be due to geopolitical issues. Uh, it can be due to company-specific issues. For instance, a change in business, um, some kind of mismanagement at the company, a loss of market share, low earnings or losses, or the CEO leaves. So lots of reasons uh, that there can be risk for a company, both that uh, arise because of the company's operations and, of course, beyond like geopolitical issues. Various events can cause market fluctuations. We saw that with the pandemic. Of course, shifts in government policies, crises in foreign countries, changes in economic data, and so much more. You can't control how these forces may uh, impact the market, but you can take steps to mitigate their impact on your investment portfolio and how they affect you. And of course, one of the best ways to manage the impact of market volatility on your portfolio, whether you are an experienced investor or just starting out, is to create and stick with a risk-appropriate diversified investment plan. Let me just repeat that, is to have a risk-appropriate, that means risk-appropriate to your age and where you are in your career, diversified investment plan. You should spread your investment among the main asset categories. So your your, your bucket or your portfolio is uh, stocks, thick, fixed income, and cash. We call this asset allocation. In other words, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And spreading your investments across a mix of stocks, bonds, and cash can be a sound strategy despite what's going on in the markets. And further, you should diversify your investments. I can't stress enough the benefits of diversification in your investment portfolio, including different kinds of investment products in your portfolio reduces risk and the impact of volatility on your overall portfolio. Thank you so much, Alan. I think that's a good overview of of some strategies to mitigate some of the risks, not all of the risks associated with kind of investing. But I want to switch it back to Anne. Can you talk to us a little bit about what insider trading is? Since you mentioned you investigate and litigate issues related to that, 
Sure, Andrea. Illegal insider trading is when someone buys or sells a security, like a stock, when they have important information about that security or its company that is not available to the general public. So it could include tipping the information to someone else. You learn about it inside your company and you tell your best friend and then your best friend trades on it. It could be trading on information that you received as a tip, or it could involve stealing the information and then trading on it. It undermines investor confidence in the fairness of the securities markets. So we do treat it very seriously. And you also mentioned that you work to protect consumers against investing fraud. Can you talk a little bit about what types of fraud may exist in the investing industry that you personally address? Unfortunately, investment fraud remains one of the primary types of cases that we pursue. Usually it's against retail investors. And often by the time that we actually learn about a fraud, it's down the road and a lot of the investment money may be gone. So the best advice I actually can give to investors is to protect yourself upfront. Check out the background of the person selling or offering the investment, and then be prepared to walk away if something doesn't seem right. It's better to walk away than to invest the money anyways and lose everything. Trust your gut. Thank you, Anne. I think sometimes, especially if we are dealing with a charismatic, seemingly trustworthy financial professional this uh, fear of missing out will get a hold of some of these people that are, end up in fraud, fraudulent situations. So that is difficult to assess sometimes, just regulating your emotions and realize, is this a fear of missing out situation or do I have time? You, and you usually do have time to do your due diligence, look up the background of the person, make sure that they are trustworthy before you engage in investment activities with them. So if someone suspects an investment professional of misconduct, what should they do, Anne? Are there, are there specific types of misconduct that maybe consumers should watch out for in, in order to alert the Securities and Exchange Commission? Yes. So let me start with the first question. What do you do if you think someone is engaged in misconduct? If you think that there's just something funny, you have information, you got offered something that doesn't seem right, you can file a tip or a complaint with the SEC. We have a form on our public website, so it's all automated. Um, and I'll give you the website. It's www.sec.gov tcr. And that will let you put in all of your information and we'll be alerted to it. If you don't want to use a website form, which I can understand, you can also call an investor hotline and I'll give you that number. And I think it will also be in uh, the show notes. It's 800-732-0330. So if you see something, say something, and maybe we can actually prevent someone else from losing their money. Um, and then now to take the second part of the question, what, what should you watch out for? There are, there are a lot of things probably I could go on for hours, but I'll, I'll focus on the top ones that I can think of. So the biggest things to watch out for are claims of high returns. So offering way more than the market would give you with little or no risk. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. 
there really isn't such a thing as a get rich quick slow and steady actually wins the race. And I know that's kind of a cliche. Another thing to look out for investment professionals who are not registered with the SEC or FINRA. If they're not registered, they probably shouldn't be selling you an investment. Another thing to look out for would be aggressive sales tactics. So anybody telling you, you have to buy now, and this investment opportunity is going to go away in five minutes or one hour, anybody who's pressuring you like that is a big red flag for you to walk away. Finally, uh, the last one um, that I'd like to talk about today would be unsolicited investment offers. So anybody just calling you up, cold calling you, if you don't seek out the investment, it's a real red flag to have someone just call you on the phone and try to get you to turn over your money. Take a pause, walk away. Um, and finally, there are people out there who will impersonate investment professionals and also government employees. So just be really careful. I actually tell people if they get a contact from me, which I hope none of you ever do, but if you do, check me out on our website. Call the main line. You can do that with any company. Don't just respond to somebody first time on the phone. And just to echo, since I work in state government and we've also had issues of people portraying themselves as state employees for different broad purposes, we also tell everybody like, I'm actually with the state. You could email me at this state address. You could call this phone number and ask for me and they'll be able to route you to me. So don't ever feel like you're being mean or rude by asking people to verify who they are, particularly if they are on the phone. Um, and I think a lot of people get a little intimidated, understandably, on the phone, and they don't want to ask too many questions, but ask the questions. So Alan and Anne, I'm sure we could chat, as Anne just said, all day about investing. But is there anything you want to make sure to tell our listeners before we wrap up today? I'll take one. Be careful. Trust your instincts and don't ever feel pressured to do something. I would, I would, that's great. Great. And I would just throw in a, a quick sort of some summation of what we talked about. And that is one, to pay off uh, your high interest debt. Two, to have a diversified and long-term investment plan. Three, to take advantage of a 401k if your employer offers one and make sure you do the match to get the free money. And last, stay focused and invested through ups and down markets. Don't get distracted by the noise and invest for the long term. Thank you so much, Alan and Ann, for joining us today. I'm sure that we can put the links to all the resources that we, we've touched on throughout today's podcast episode in the show notes like investor.gov and sec.gov. Um, as well as the links to the webinars that I mentioned, the upcoming one and some of the recorded ones. And we've covered a ton of information on investing today. And I know we will cover more in the future. So I hope that we can have both of you back on again in the future, if you're still willing. Um, and th but thank you again for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Yes, I echo what Andrew just said. We would love to have you guys back on in the future. Thanks for talking with us and thanks to our listeners also for joining us as well. And as always, don't forget to like, subscribe and share the podcast through SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Thanks everybody. Bye.